what is the big idea of the Christian life? If you have to just kind of try to sum it up, break it down to, okay, what is it? What is the main thing? What's the big, what's the big idea? And I would say, if you're not a Christian or some of your non-Christian friends, they would probably say it's, uh, it's doing good stuff, right? It's uh, going to church. It's doing stuff, being a good person, not jaywalking. But I found this as I was going, uh, doing preparation for this sermon. Um, I came across this by R.C. Sproul, and it is just a phenomenal summation, and I think that accurately captures the essence of the Christian life. Um, it actually comes from a Latin word. I don't know how many of you studied Latin in high school. Um, but it actually comes from a Latin word. Um, it's called Coram Deo. And here's a, a quote from R.C. Sproul. This phrase literally refers to something that takes place in the presence of or before the face of God. To live Coram Deo is to live one's entire life in the presence of God, under the authority of God, to the glory of God. Living under divine sovereignty involves more than a reluctant submission to sheer sovereignty that is motivated out of a fear of punishment. It involves recognizing that there is no higher goal than offering honor to God. Our lives are to be living sacrifices offered in a spirit of adoration and gratitude. The Christian who compartmentalizes his or her life into two sections of the religious and the non-religious has failed to grasp the big idea. The big idea is that all of life is religious or none of life is religious. Since it's Labor Day weekend, I thought, well, work. We're not at work tomorrow, uh, so I would say, why not talk about work? This seems like a good thing to talk about, very topical. So now I just wanted to preach about how living in the face of God impacts our work. So if you turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, and we will start in verse 22. I'll read it. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. All right, so first just a zoom back of, uh, of what's happening so far in Colossians. So in Colossians, um, 
First Paul is opening up really with a section on the supremacy of Christ. Christ is all and in all. Christ is the one who has made everything. He sustains everything and everything is for him ultimately. Then it continues on. Christ, the great one, the preeminent one, the one whom everything is made for, actually died for enemies, died for rebels, and he rose making us right with God. So then we come to Colossians 3.1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. So the main idea, very simply, following Christ radically transforms how we work. A little bit of context as well. That, um, that first word there in, in verse 22, bond servants, or in some translations, slaves. Um, a little background on slavery uh, then. So first about a third of Colossians uh, may have been slaves. So uh, a good number of people were slaves. Um, it was not based on ethnicity or, um, or religious background or something. You couldn't just look at someone and say, yep, that person's a slave. It, it wasn't like that. Um, at the same time, as a slave, you were someone's property. Uh, so if you ran away or went away, then that was illegal. Someone would try to bring you back, and they had people who would try to do that. Um, now, here we see this, and we don't see anything about Paul saying, this is wrong, this is bad. So that's something that we, that we have to deal with. I mean, particularly when we think of slavery, I know the first thing I think about is not, you know, first century slavery or something. I'm thinking of, you know, American slavery, the uh, Atlantic slave trade. But the Bible is clear that enslaving, that is taking someone captive in order to sell them into slavery, is wrong. It is condemned. So both in the Old Testament and Exodus 21 verse 16 and in the New Testament and 1 Timothy 1.10. So the kind of slavery that was practiced in the Americas where they would round people up, um, Either they would do wars on purpose in Africa to try to enslave people to sell them. Um, but it was taking people against their will for the purpose of selling them into slavery. Also note on modern day slavery. So even though slavery was abolished uh, in America back in 1867 or so, um, there, it, there are still people today, even in America, who are enslaved. So they are preyed upon. They are vulnerable. They'll often be told, hey, I know you're in some poor village in some poor country. If you come to work with me, then you'll get money. You'll be able to provide for your family. And then they're taken away. And they're often put into all sorts of deplorable forms of slavery um, with little hope of um, returning to their families. Oftentimes they'll threaten their families if they, uh, if they try to escape. So these sorts of things are deplorable, 
They are bad, they are wrong, they are sinful, and the Bible is clear that that is wrong. Now, since we don't have that kind of context, or a true slavery like they had here, uh, master concept today, the closest context is probably work. So uh, someone who is rightly over you, someone who has authority over you in a right, lawful way, um, that is our closest context. So where there are some differences, I'll point those out. Um, but that's, that's where we're at today. So the first point is obey. Not because your boss is watching, but because the Lord is. In Psalms 111, verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Fearing the Lord is revering him, behaving in an appropriate way before the all-powerful and holy God of the universe. Fearing the Lord is truly foundational in the Christian life, and it has a radical impact on how we view the world and what we do. Another point here is it's not simply obeying while the boss is watching to earn their favor. So it talks about doing it for eye service. So it's the idea of, hey, if the boss is watching, then, hey, I'm, I'm doing exactly what you say. But as soon as the boss walks away, I'm doing my own thing. Uh, I don't know how many of you have seen, there's a, I think it's a Geico commercial where, uh, they're like in a dungeon, in some medieval dungeon or something like that. And then the boss comes in and he's like, hey, what's going on with the prisoner? And then they say, oh, uh, we're getting him together. It'll just be a few more moments. He says, okay, great. And then he goes off. He's thinking, man, these guys are really on the job. They are really doing it. They are obeying. This is fantastic. And then as they leave, they drop the table down that the prisoner is on, and he is the net for their ping-pong table. <laughs> and he's keeping score. Um, <laughs> this is not the kind of obeying that the Bible has in mind, that Christ has in mind. This is easy. This is what is very easy to do. Um, it's just it's way easier. It takes a lot less effort. I'm an engineer. I love efficiency. I love removing waste, making things simple. Man, if you only obey when someone's watching, it makes it a lot easier. You have a lot more free time. Why else do people do this? People do this because they think that favor comes from man. So they're primarily concerned not with what the Lord thinks about this, but what man thinks. So I'll, I'll obey, I'll, I'll do this in order that they will think that I am doing a good job, hoping that then they will treat me better. They will, maybe if I was a slave, give me freedom or, or, or give me some increased status. What are some other reasons why people do this? Well, we are naturally resistant to people telling us what to do. I know this in my own life. I mean, really, it's amazing. If someone suggests something to me or asks me to do something, I'll usually consider it. I'm usually fairly gracious, reasonable, receptive. At least I would like to understand what they have to say. 
But the moment someone says that same thing, except makes it a command, my defenses go up a little bit. Instead of seeking to understand, I start to think, who are they to make demands of me? Uh, I may have more information on this subject. I, I know more about this. They don't, they don't know the situation. And I'm in a better position to make a decision to do such and such thing or not to do it. So this is just a natural reality, and I know I'm not the only one that this is true for. We don't like people telling us what to do. So this is hard to obey, not just to obey when people are looking, but to obey with sincerity, to obey unto the Lord. But the situation I just laid out of someone maybe not knowing as much as me on a certain topic, or, um, yeah, someone just not knowing as much as me on a certain topic or not having all the facts or not being able to think through it well does not come into play when we're talking about the Lord. When the Lord tells us to obey, when the Lord commands something, we're talking about the all-knowing Lord who made all things and for whom all things were made. He died in my place, saving me from certain wrath. Christians, you were bought with a price. We owe it to him to live our lives for him. What he says goes. So this is foundational. Christ says um, that the one who loves me keeps my commandments. So what Christ says, it is not drudgery, even though it may be difficult, it may go against our nature at the same time. He's worth it. Who could be... Who would you rather obey? You're going to obey someone, whether it's your own, maybe it's your hunger. <laughs> we are going to obey something. We're going to obey. When you, if you go home, watch television, and you see a commercial, next thing you know, hmm, I think I want a pizza. You're going to obey. You should obey the one who knows all and who loves you and is all-powerful, who knows what's best in all circumstances. The next point in that, in verses 23 to 25, we got to work hard with the end in mind. So slaves receive little to no wages. So other than personal satisfaction, what incentive did they have, except maybe their master looking favorably upon them, what incentive did they have to give it their all? I mean... <laughs> Why would they do it? Why, why not just work just enough so that they leave you alone? And if you've ever worked in a big corporation or worked in the government, some of you may understand <laughs> that feeling. Some of you on your jobs, even if you don't work for the government or a big corporation, you, you may get that same sort of sense of why, what am I doing this for? It's not always a monetary reward that comes from it. I don't always get recognized. I get overlooked often, probably. They reward someone else. Someone else gets promoted. They get promoted up when they're sometimes maybe incompetent. So it can be difficult. But what do we see here? We see here that the Lord rewards those who work for him. Now, what's amazing here, I've got this quote from John Calvin. 
Paul gathers that they will receive from him a reward, but it is the reward of inheritance, by which he means that the very thing that is bestowed in reward of works is freely given to us by God, for inheritance comes from adoption. So here's something that is different between, you know, someone just being a worker today and and a slave. Slaves had no inheritance. You worked, you got paid nothing or close to nothing, and you got no inheritance. Now we see God saying, look, you want a reward? You want some incentive? You want some motivation? Think about your inheritance. I have adopted you. Your your status is not wrapped up primarily in you being a slave. That's not your ultimate status. The ultimate reality is, in fact, that you are an adopted child of God with an inheritance waiting for you, a royal inheritance. That is our reward. That's what we have to look forward to. Is that not motivation for us to give it our all? If you know for sure that the reward is there and it is fantastic, Now, here's where it can get into all of our lives here. Students, maybe you don't think that uh, passages often apply to you and your schoolwork, but guess what? Work diligently on your studies. Don't put in the minimal effort or cut corners. Give it your all in service to the Lord. How many of you, I know I, I did not, how many of you as students actually think about, hey, as I'm doing this paper, I'm working hard, and regardless of the grade I'm going to get, I'm going to work my hardest because I know that that is pleasing to God for me to work hard, to work diligently. That would drastically change how you view your schoolwork. Your parents would no longer argue with you about When are you going to do this thing? Why are you playing video games again? Because they know that you are putting in your maximum effort. You are striving, not just for a grade, not just so the teacher thinks that you're nice, but for the Lord. Okay, what about housewives and stay-at-home moms? It may be hard at times to see the immediate results of your efforts but God sees them. None of your efforts are wasted. God sees every single thing, and there is nothing, there is no effort for him that is wasted. There is not a diaper that is changed or um, a child that is read to or some of the houses being together and orderly that, is, that goes unseen. Even if your husband doesn't see it, even if your children don't appreciate it until they've got children of their own, God sees it. Same thing with single parents. Your work is doubly hard. It is downright difficult. I I am amazed, and God gives extra grace and common grace for you to be able to do the things that you do. Oftentimes with limited help, maybe no help. God sees. Even when your bosses don't see, even when they make it difficult for you, God sees work. 
continue to work at that. What is the next thing we see in here? We see that God punishes wrongdoers. So you might think, hey, wrongdoers being punished, that is great. I can think of a ton of people at work who do the wrong thing all the time. Man, they never get caught. Only if they would get caught, that is great. That's just what we need. More people getting caught doing bad stuff. Yeah, they need to get punished. The person who takes off early, and then you have to pick up the slack, but your boss doesn't know it. But wait a second. What about you? It says that there is no partiality. So have you always given your work your all? Have you always given all of your effort to whatever you're doing? Have you ever taken off early? Have you ever went back to playing solitaire when the boss isn't working or uh, Angry Birds or something? I don't know. Remember, wrongdoers will be punished without partiality. So this puts us in a hard spot because wait a second here. Wrongdoers are going to be punished. This is a God who knows all, who sees all. And if he punishes without partiality, I know that I'm a wrongdoer. And guess what? You're a wrongdoer as well. But thank God for Christ. Thank God that instead of only treating us as our sins deserved, he punished Christ on our behalf. So if you don't want to have to face your own judgment for your own wrongdoing, turn to Christ who has already done that for you. Turn to Christ who took on that punishment, and in exchange, he gives you the reward that he earned. This is our only escape because unlike our bosses who can't see everything that we do, God sees everything. God knows everything. God knows your thoughts even when your boss doesn't. Final point, point three. Treat subordinates fairly because you also have a master. Here's another point of difference here. So, on earth, these masters would have almost no accountability regarding treatment of their slaves. So if you were a slave owner, you could kill your slave in the first century and it not be a crime, it not be a problem. So, so think of this. I mean, you own someone else. They are your property. There is no recourse if you treat them any way that you would like. Why would you treat them fairly? The answer is simply that you have a master in heaven. So you are not a master yourself only. You have a master. You are yourself a slave to this greater master. And as a matter of fact, whether slave or free, Jew or Gentile, we all have the same master if you are in Christ. Today, we typically have to answer to someone, even if we're a leader. But there is still a great deal that we could do to unfairly hurt a subordinate. Those of you in leadership positions are not to use your positions to serve your own interests, but to serve the Lord.
I know what you're thinking. Okay, all right, I get it. Things are supposed to be different. But my boss is terrible. He underappreciates me or she is unkind. If only we had a perfect boss, someone who was understanding, then I would follow them even when I didn't understand their decisions. Someone who would see everything I did and reward my intentions even when they came up short. Well, guess what? The glorious news is we do serve such a master. Leaders, you may see other leaders getting ahead by mistreating their employees, but we know that that sort of behavior does not please our heavenly master. We are people under authority. We are accountable to the heavenly father. We will never regret anything done for Christ. He sees all and will greet Christians in heaven with well done, my good and faithful servant. If you don't know Christ today, if you don't follow him, if you listen to this sermon and you say, man, I've gone to church a lot, I've gone to a lot of Bible studies, but I've sectioned off my life. I mean, how I work or what I'm supposed to be at work or how I'm supposed to be at home or whatever, I have not taken any of those things into consideration. As a matter of fact, I actively do all the things that, I, that the Bible says I'm not supposed to do. There is hope. Turn to Christ today. Follow him today. Plead with him for mercy and grace he is turning no one away. There is still time. If you have breath in your body, there is time. It is not too late. And we serve a gracious master. If you've got a heavy yoke, give it to him. For his yoke is easy, his burden is light, and you will find rest for your souls. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are grand. You are all-knowing and all-worthy of all the praise, honor, and glory. All of it is due to your holy name. Lord, I pray that this word would impress upon our hearts that we would be known, whether it's in how we work or how we treat subordinates or how we are as a retired person or a student, that we would do all of it for your glory. We would do all of it thinking about what pleases the Lord. What would he have me do? Lord, help us to encourage one another to press on, to continue, even when it's difficult, knowing that we have a great reward and inheritance. Thank you for Christ and his sacrifice. Thank you for this church body we have. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.